Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I am your host, Laura Boyle. Um, we are here in the last week of September 2023 to talk about polysaturation, a topic that I was really surprised hadn't come up as its own podcast episode before because we reference it so often. So we are here to chat about that with our guest, Violet Fox, a pleasure educator um, who I really love off of Twitter and various other platforms, who I hope you'll enjoy my interview with. She's got decades of non-monogamous experience to chat with us through, and I'm really excited to share this interview with you. Before we get to that, a tiny bit of housekeeping. Um, as I've shared before, we have a lot of exciting things coming up in October for us here at Ready for Polyamory. Um, I've got one class with Wicked Grounds next week. Uh, that is on October the 9th, and that's Narrative Age Play. Then on October 15th, I'm running a class in collaboration with Leanne Yao of Polyphilia Blog. That's on the 15th. It's called The Polyamorous Home, um, and you can find the tickets to both of those in the show notes. You also will find me um, next November running a retreat here in Connecticut, so if folks are interested in information for that, that's also in the show notes. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Violet Fox about polysaturation. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I know we know each other a little bit from Twitter. Do you mind introducing yourself a little bit for the people in my audience who don't know you? Sure. My name is Violet Fox, and I am a sex and pleasure educator. I started out in the NSFW sphere writing mostly erotica about five years ago. And in about the last year and a half, my work has really leaned more into being information and education based. Um, my goal is really to help people explore themselves and enrich their lives through, you know, just sexual empowerment, understanding themselves and pursuing what feels good versus what they've told is necessarily right or good. Right. And this is sort of where we got to know each other. I spend less time these days because Twitter is imploding, but for many years, a little too much time on sex ed Twitter. Um, and so you were one of many accounts who I spent a lot of time looking up to from a corner until I started blogging. Um, I mean, and, likewise. <laughs> and then eventually, like, talking. And so it's like, oh, look, now we chat with each other. I feel like part of the cool kids table. Um, but so I'm really pleased to have you here chatting with me. And today we're mostly going to be talking about polysaturation, but that comes with a lot of other topics that go with it, right? Sure does. Um, so when we're talking about this, um, polysaturation for the folks at home is the idea that when you're in non-monogamous relationships, most people have some level of set point that they reach where they don't feel comfortable engaging in a further higher number of relationships. Um, but one of the things that I think we're going to want to talk about is do you think that someone's polysaturation level is a sort of set thing, or do you think that this is something that can shift over time? Oh, what a great question. 
I would definitely say that it's something that can change over time. And I say that particularly because of my own experience. I can only really speak for myself. But, you know, there have been times in my poly journey, which I'm coming on about 25 years now. There have been points where, you know, I really had the the more the merrier sort of idea, you know, where I felt like I had boundless time and space and energy for lots of different people. And I was really interested in having many different kinds of connections, some that were very casual, some that were strictly sexually charged, others that were like very deep and emotional and more like a traditional romantic or sexual relationship. You know, and now I'm in a really different phase where I am very happy to have uh, the three partners that I have and those relationships, you know, always evolving as relationships do. But in terms of status uh, with each other and how we operate, they're fairly, uh, you know, solid and stable and not really changing. So I think for a single person that willingness or more over ability to juggle the time that it takes and the energy that it takes to have multiple relationships has really so often everything to do with what's going on in the rest of your life because of course as much as our relationships feel like everything to us they are not everything that we have to do we have many more hours in the day to give other things so there's a lot of consideration there i think when it comes to saturation and how we get to saturation. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. I think the times in my life where it's felt like my saturation level suddenly got lower were times where other big life things were happening. I don't know if that's ever been the case for you. It sounds like for you, it's more just been that at certain times there's been a natural evolution toward a few relationships taking a bigger space in your life. But I've had times of like large emotional upheaval where it has been, oh, temporarily my saturation level is lower. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's an experience you've ever had. Definitely. I remember, uh, you know, trying to finish my degree, for example, you know, those last, you know, six months, that big push to finish something really big in your life. I think even monogamous folks face that as well, you know you're really putting in more hours at the office or you're trying to get through a big project or really push through to the end of something. And, you know, even in monogamous situations, that can mean that how much energy we put into relationships can be, you know, a little bit fluid temporarily. So I think that's, that's definitely been part of the experience for me. I think it's also just had a lot to do with my own frame of mind and where I was just myself and with myself. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you. There are definitely those external factors are something that apply to monogamous relationships as well, but we talk about them more in polyamory. I think mm -hmm. as with so many things, it is something where we pick things apart and dissect them a little more, right? Definitely. Where I think monogamous people don't look at them until they're in an extreme, right? My friends in law school would talk about that their relationships were struggling because of how much work they did in law school because it was the level above working on their undergrad degrees and they never thought about it before right like oh my god the amount of reading i'm doing is suddenly 
three times what it was last year, right? So now I have to think about my boyfriend, right? And I was like, oh, I've always thought about this because I'm trying to <laughs> juggle more than one of these. Absolutely. I think that that happens a lot in the sort of natural comparisons and biases between monogamy and non-monogamy in that non-monogamous people, polyamorous people are already living in a space where they are arguably uh, more purposefully aware. Not that they're more capable of being aware, but polyamory requires a not a, a greater level of thought. I'm not at all trying to position it as superior, but it is a different kind of thinking. It's a different process uh, to be both inclusive of your partners, but also give them the space to do what they're doing. And some of that is connecting with other people and other partners. And some of that is their job or their school or just the time they want to spend by themselves. So, yeah, I think that that's a huge part of it is that there's a, a picking apart of polyamory that doesn't really happen in monogamy because in monogamy it's preset and pre-understood that your partner is your primary and in some relationships only major focus and that everything should come second to that. And... I've never met a polyamorous person who views things that way, not only because they're spreading their attention and their time across more than one person, but simply because philosophically there's an understanding that that space, that breathing room uh, is not a threat. It's a part of the sort of greater, the, the whole sort of greater thing. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. And so if someone is sort of reaching saturation or realizing sort of post hoc that they have reached saturation, do you have any suggestions for things that they can perhaps do to rebalance things? Yeah, absolutely. I'll say that saturation can be really uncomfortable. And I think for a lot of polyamorous people, especially people who are new to non-monogamy and trying to sort of find their place in it and understand not only how it works at large, but how it works for them personally, I think that the idea of polysaturation can be really uncomfortable. And I've heard a lot of people say that it feels like they're doing something wrong. Like, if I'm polyamorous, shouldn't I just have endless resources and endless love endless time well no there's only 24 hours in the day you're just one person and you're you're just a person like you're allowed to have time and downtime as well so hitting polysaturation can feel uncomfortable it can feel like uh, almost like a betrayal to the idea of polyamory but that's something that I would definitely suggest people try to let go of polysaturation is hard but it's kind of necessary because we don't have time for everything and we don't have time for everyone and we aren't going to be able to give our best if we've spread ourselves too thin. So I think when you come across that sensation of saturation and you start to realize I'm running out of time or I'm running out of energy, I'm running out of resources, I'm running out of patience for this, 
I think the best thing that you can do for yourself and your partners is just be honest with them, with yourself and them about it. If you can be honest about your saturation, it will be a lot easier to navigate. And part of that is admitting that you're not some sort of relationship superhero that can do everything. And if that's your expectation of uh, the poly experience, it might be a rude awakening that you can't. But we've all been there. It's an important part. You could even say it's sort of like a, almost like a milestone of the journey to, you know, hit saturation and go, oh, that's what this is. So I think if you can be honest with yourself and reconcile that this is not a fault and not that you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean you're bad at it. It doesn't mean that this lifestyle doesn't make sense for you. It just means that you've you've come to a place where you're having a bit of a challenge. And I think second to being honest with yourself about that, it's important to be honest with existing partners about that. Now, that doesn't mean that you end all these great connections that you have. It can be as simple as saying, hey, I'm really overwhelmed with X, Y, and Z. And... Mm if I seem a little bit absent or I seem a little bit less connected, that's not really something you need to take personally right now. You know, this is, you know, reminding your partners that uh, your journey is yours as well as theirs can be helpful as well. And, you know, just being clear with, you know, what is an issue, what isn't, in what ways are you feeling sort of tapped out? You know, is, do you need more time to yourself? Do you need, more time with someone else? Do you need just sort of a break? And then be honest with yourself and new people that you encounter that now isn't a good time to add to, you know, add to your roster, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, it can be uncomfortable to come across someone that you feel a connection with or you're interested in when you know that you shouldn't be, or you know that that you just don't have what it takes to really take that farther. So I think being honest with people and learning language around talking about expressing how you feel, but also being comfortable saying, you know, but maybe we can just be friends. Maybe we can just get coffee or maybe we can reconnect, you know, in the future when I'm feeling a bit more, uh, you know, able and, like it's a good time but I think at at the very least you owe yourself and all the people that you're interacting with a lot of honesty around that because arguably it's objectively cruel to take on a new relationship that you can't responsibly participate in and people like to get really wound up about you know the ethics of non-monogamy and that's a major one and it's one that if you are in this world and observing other people navigating this world uh personally i see all the time people just sort of collecting partners like baseball cards right. and the ethics of that get pretty dodgy pretty fast yeah and i'd like to sort of note for people who worry about this that it doesn't mean that you're like collecting people like baseball cards or like pokemon hunting if you oh. hit the point where you reach polysaturation, right? It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong if you're no. relatively new to this and find yourself hitting the point of saturation faster than you expected. It just means 
that you didn't realize where your limits were until you hit them. Because a totally. lot of times, how could you know we have no framework? Exactly. How could you know where those limits are if you've never experienced them? Exactly. And, and it I takes the time of trying it to figure out where these things are. And sometimes it's an emotional bandwidth issue. And there's no way to guess at that, right? We can have some idea of like how many hours a week we have, but we have no idea how much emotional capacity we have. And by that, I mean like mm, emotional capacity is the wrong word, but like bandwidth for doing active check-ins or for doing the like mental work of tracking multiple people's interests mm -hmm. and ongoing issues and whose kids are sick and what's going on with this person who's getting a promotion next week, right? All of yeah. those little things that you actually do care about for the people whom you care about. Absolutely. But it's a lot of mental load. It is. It's a huge mental load and it can be a load that you're very willing to carry and very willing to participate in. And reaching saturation doesn't mean, I think, it's an important distinction. It doesn't mean you care less. It doesn't mean you've hit a point and it's all downhill from there. Saturation is more like a, it's sort of a self check-in point. Some part of you is going, ding, ding, ding. We need to pay attention here. This is a little bit much. And sometimes that saturation comes on in a way where you can go, oh, I need to adjust. And you can course correct. And other times it kind of comes out of nowhere you didn't realize it was going to be a problem and suddenly it's a problem and it feels really big. But I think to your point, it's not that you've done anything wrong. I would even say reaching saturation sooner than you expected is a bit of a gift in the sense that you'll get the understanding and you can apply that understanding going for, for forward and apply that with new relationships as they come in or with the ones that you already have, you know, knowing where your limits are in terms of how much you can handle and how much you can support other people and, you know, interact. And this also depends on how big your, your group of people is. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have one relationship that you've been in for 10 years and you have one new relationship that's relatively you know, uneventful or not very high stress, not very high emotional demands, you might never feel that saturation. Or something could happen in one of those two relationships and all of a sudden everything could be too much. But that saturation point, I think if, if nothing else, when it happens, you can't just ignore it. You can't look away. You can't go like, oh, well, if I just don't look at it, it'll get better because arguably it will just get harder and you risk hurting those relationships and hurting the other people in them if you are unprepared or unable to really look at it what it is yeah I definitely agree with that it's one of those things where the self-awareness involved in noticing is really valuable and you're right that if somebody hits that sooner, they start to recognize the signs early enough that it teaches them what to watch out for sooner. So in myself, Absolutely. 
the signs that I get that I'm approaching saturation are like higher levels of irritability, overwhelm sooner, right? It's all of my like little triggers of overwhelm with myself and my own problems sooner. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because have we met people pleasers and former people pleasers? It's me. It's also me. So like, and I think that's such a good point that it, it can, it doesn't always come up in a really cataclysmic way. You know, saturation doesn't necessarily send everything off the rails. It really can just look like, you know, holding back, not being as present, shutting down a little, not opening up as much because, you know, you have to, you've got to always keep something for yourself, <laughs> you know, some energy for yourself. And if you're spreading that too thin and too much is going on, it can be really hard. Well, and sometimes you have to make the decision of am I going to weather this state of saturation or is this actually a breaking point and unfortunately I think saturation can reveal to us where our maximum points are and in some cases things need to change and things need mm -hmm. to shift now I would never suggest if someone feels like oh I'm hitting saturation I need to just start you know trimming the fat and letting people go and just, you know, cutting it all out. You know, you have to remember these are people. These right. are whole relationships. These are people with lives and connections and emotions and needs as well. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and saturated, doesn't mean everybody else is and it doesn't mean you can just sort of clean the house. You do have to actually address the issues and they may not be the issues of anybody else nobody else has to be doing anything wrong for you to feel your saturation well it's such a doesn't huge mean that anyone is doing anything wrong it just means that you're oh, no. somewhat overwhelmed and don't have bandwidth so sometimes that means you need a little more time for yourself and all of your relationships need to find an hour or two somewhere that you can create that time for yourself right as somebody who until recent years, right? Post 2020, I've been better about actually carving out time for myself. But prior to that, I was the person who like every minute of all of my time was for someone else, right? Was it for my kids? Was it for a partner? It was for someone. And so I would hit the point where I was like, oh my gosh, something is going on and I desperately need time for myself. Everyone give me secret time that I didn't know was here. And so somebody would cancel something and be like, okay, well, we have two date nights every week. We will have one date night a week for the next two months. And then look, see, you have secret time. <laughs> and so if you have a partner who's willing to do that for you, that can be really valuable. Or if it's a situation where like there is no such thing, right? You are like my girlfriend, the person who has seven partners. Um, no, seven, six, six. I have five metas. Um, That's a lot of Christmas cards. I'm just saying. <laughs> I made That's a, list. a big molecule. I made a list of who I was making Christmas presents for because, you know, there's not that long until Christmas for those of us who DIY things. Yep. Um, and I was making a note of everybody's dietary restrictions because I tend to make food gifts on the years I don't knit. 
and there are too many people to knit for this year. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm making food gifts. Oh, everyone's got dietary restrictions. Okay. I will figure out dairy and gluten-free options for all of these people. It definitely makes things interesting, doesn't it? But yes, but if you are like my girlfriend and so you have six people who you're scheduling with and so none of them are like an absolute weekly or twice a week like day where it's easy for somebody to feel like, oh, this is simple. We will give up this little bit of time that is not that essential to me. All of the relationships are sort of scheduled out to the point where they can be. They're all the polyamorous stereotype of you may have every second Tuesday for the rest of our lives. Right? And Google Calendar will make it happen. It becomes a lot harder, right? When you find yourself to be truly overwhelmed at that state of spread out saturation, it's significantly harder. And you are at that point canceling on someone to get your afternoon to yourself. Or you are at that point say, and like, this is in no way to bash on my girlfriend. She is the sweetest. She's just a really good example of a polysaturated person. But like when she started dating me, everyone else in the polycule was like, oh, we really like Laura. She's our friend. But also, are you serious? Six partners? (laughs) Like a year later, we remain at, are you serious? Six partners? (laughs) Collectively. Yeah, yeah, the much more of a like because oh, most of us are like two people, we're comfy, three people, okay, and then the occasional date that may or may not go somewhere. I think a big part of what plays into people's uh, sense of saturation as well is how they're existing. Well, especially if they're adding a relationship and experiencing that saturation, is how are not just how are your existing relationships, but how do they operate? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're operating, you know, within a sort of traditional hierarchical framework, for instance, how, when, and and what you give to your other partners might look really different than someone who's taking a much more sort of organic approach to that. So, and that also depends on what your partner's partners, and sometimes even your partner's partner's partners have going on. Because, I mean, that's the idea, is when you look at a polycule, the reason they're, you know, it's like a molecule is that there are all of those in interconnections. And at first glance, it can look really complicated. Usually it feels a lot more simple than it is. But, you know, those interactions with other people and how that time is spent and how other partners respond to those things also factors into how how that gets managed. For example, in in our family, my two nesting partners, we are very, I would describe us as being high trust, low conflict. Mm-hmm. So when I have something going on with uh, my third partner, who's not my nesting partner, my nesting partners are always super flexible and, you know, willing to move things around or make time or, you know, whatever it is, because we see each other all day, every day. 
you know, they aren't clamoring for time with me and vice versa. So they tend to be really flexible and really giving when it comes to me using my personal resources with that third partner. He's long distance. It's, it's harder. There are bigger challenges. And my two nesting partners absolutely recognize that. So they give me tons of, you know, accommodation for that because they're comfortable, they're sincere, our relationships are working, they see that I'm happy with this other situation. And so sometimes, you know, they're totally okay with, oh, all of a sudden you have the opportunity to do a video call with him. Awesome. We'll get out of the house for an hour. Right. And you know, so... Some folks yeah, it, exaggeration level is much higher because many of their relationships are long distance and oh, they find it easier to maintain a relationship that is more maintained on those things like video calls and texts and whatever because they personally have higher bandwidth for that. Mm -hmm. And some people find that much harder to maintain because the mental load of connecting that way is higher for them. And see, for me, I'm I'm such a homebody, and so much of my relationships are mental and intellectual and emotional. Physical is definitely, certainly a part. I mean, I'm a pleasure educator. You'd hope I'd be having sex. But, uh, <laughs> but for me, like the traditional model of, of dating um, or having sort of lots of people to date and go out with, it's not a part of the picture for me. Like that's, that's not something that I need. Mm -hmm. I'm way more a fan of like a long video call or a long conversation or, you know, I just don't sort of need that. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. We don't even have to use Google calendar in our polycule. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just sort of flexibly make it work. And for other people that, you know, that, poly stereotype of everybody being on Google Calendar and being, you know, scheduled to the nth degree is so real. I mean, I think especially none of us have kids, so that's really a lot easier. But yeah, how you're metering out your time and resources and how that time is being spent, I think you're right, has a huge impact on different people's a degree of saturation because you're right some people have great bandwidth for that in-person interaction and they really need a lot of a lot of shorter uh you know dates and interactions through the week on a regular basis other people you know that one two-hour phone call on sunday morning is just what they need so i think figuring out what actually works for you and being honest with people about that I know I keep coming back to that but it's kind of the cheat code of polyamory is just be honest with yourself you know if you can be honest with yourself about what you want what you feel able to do what you are able to and want to give to other people what you're able to and willing to receive from other people and you're willing to do that in a way that isn't based in you know, scarcity model and jealousy, you know, it might work for you. Well, right. And it's one of those things where it can be exceptionally vulnerable to have to be super honest with other people about where you're at with those things. But it's so rewarding to do it. 
-hmm. and to realize that they're doing that with and for you too. Absolutely. Because it's so much nicer to have a partner admit that they're in a place where they need a little more time for themselves than to have them drift away and not be sure why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Or for them to be, you know, bitter about the time that you're spending together because it's not time that they had for themselves or whatever it is. Right. If they can just say, this is what I need, or you can say, this is what I need, chances are they'll give it to you. Right. And the time that you do spend together is then better quality time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're actually there for the common purpose of being there. Not because Google Calendar told you you had this 37 minutes to spend with partner B before partner D comes <laughs> home. You know, like it's that just gets a little bit insane, I think. Right. I have never been that hyper scheduled, although I am the person who is like, okay, between my kids' schedule and your kids' schedule. We have exactly one evening after 9 p.m. every week. Let's make it count. Right? And it's hard when you're in a situation that is that tightly scheduled and someone says, hey, we have this one evening a week. Let's make it count. And you're going, oh, that's just another thing I have to do this week. I mean, because they sometimes arrive at our date night evening and go, I'm exhausted. Can we make this count by flopping on the same bed? And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah let's make this count by sitting in silence. Because <laughs> about once a month, that is the answer. You know, and I think that, you know, that alone speaks to uh, the nature and the quality of a relationship. I think if you can have those... like that's intimacy to be that's real. <laughs> like, I love you, but could you just shut up? <laughs> could you just appear not to be here? That's what I need for our date night. And mm -hmm. I, it's fair. The you know, life is busy. Life takes a lot out of us. And I think that's why for some people, the idea of polyamory is just so beyond comprehension. I read people all the time and talk to people all, all the time that go, you have three relationships with three men. I can't even stand the one that I have. So this is one of my pet peeves. Okay, so I'm a bisexual woman and Same. bisexual women on the internet. There's was this TikTok trend that was a giant thing last year. And like is a little bit of a thing perpetually where women are like, I love all women. Women are gorgeous goddesses of thought and deed and beauty. And then <laughs> I love this one man who is my golden retriever boyfriend and all other men are stinky and can go away. And on the one hand, I understand men can be problematic. It can be hard to find good ones who you care for right, who you're interested in relating to, and it is an easy target to be like, forget men, screw them, right? But when we say, I love all women, all women are the most gorgeous goddesses, I seek to be with all of them, and this one man, what that one man hears is that unicorn hunting is a good idea, and that you will never be interested in another penis again. And this is not the standard we want to set. 
ladies of the internet, do not do this to me. Please and thank yeah. you. Do not set these yeah. expectations. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that, the, the idea of when men go like, oh yeah, babe, we should open up our relationship. It'll be great. It'll be great. And she goes, oh, well, I don't know. Okay. They get there and then she's just absolutely inundated with opportunity. Mm -hmm. And this guy thinks he was going to just be, you know, swimming in pussy and he's not. So I, and call I think that that Reddit polyamory when men are like, Oh my god, I thought this was going to be so easy for me. But in fact, my girlfriend has all these options and I am lame. And I am alone. That's... I am sad here, hoping for options while I'm mean to them. Yeah, hoping for options when I made absolutely no investment into this process whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Now, that's maybe not a fair statement. There are lots of men that make a lot of you know yes effort this when is a it broad brush to... i'm sorry not sorry men totally totally but the thing is is that there is a really pervasive issue especially on the internet and i love that you called it reddit polyamory i almost spit out my drink uh so true though i think that's so true and so common to see and it's a hard one to help people understand because people are automatically frustrated that it seems to be, you know, such a big gender divide. Like it's easy for women. It's hard for men. Well, I mean, isn't that a fun Uno reverso on, you know, the last forever. Uh, but I mean, beyond it's that, easy for women. It's just a different set of complications for women. Totally. It's not easy for women. Nothing about it is easy or simple in the sense that it all involves thinking and feeling and listening. Now, by and large, women are socialized to do that more than men. Sure. So it may appear that it's easier for us because it's a more obvious skill set. But there are lots of men who are really great at polyamory they just happen to be the ones that don't enter into it with an expectation of just, you know, pure hedonism. You mean if you have appropriate expectations, you meet appropriate partners relatively quickly, and then you end up saturated, and the rest of us look at you like, that one. <laughs> yes, exactly like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a tricky world for sure. And I, I would say that if people are unsure if it's for them, I think it's worth looking into. If you have any curiosity, I think it's worth looking into. But is it for everybody and can everybody do it? No, for sure. Just like not everybody can do monogamy, right? I was terrible at monogamy. I... I barely even tried. Well, same, but I then I was slid and decided to try again. And it was like, mm, this isn't fun. Let's not. Well, exactly. And for me, I just, it was very evident by my mid-teens that the way that I was looking at relationships and connecting with people, and especially 
being at an age where you start having sex and start really sort of understanding how sex and intimacy impact the feelings of love and affection and adoration and crushes and all those things that happen when you're young and happen when you're old. But for me, I just was very, very aware that I was not going to be able to do it right within the rules. You know, I just, they didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand why, you know, there were all these love triangles and someone always had to lose, you know, and it was everywhere. It was in books, it was in film, it was in TV, it was in other people my age. I saw it in adults around me and it just didn't really make any sense. And so, you know, as I approached 20 and I got into a fairly serious relationship, I eventually had to just say, hey, what do you think if we do this a little bit different? And his response was, I don't really need to do anything differently. I'm totally comfortable with you doing this differently and finding other people, but I'm good for now. And so that's how we approached it. And that's how it's kind of always worked. But yeah, monogamy has a lot of rules and for some of us, they're very hard to abide by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things where, like, I appreciate that the thing about polyamory and non-monogamy is that it sort of lets you set your own rules within your own relationships. The, mm -hmm. like, choose-your-own-adventure story aspect of it and the you define within your relationship what your parameters are and the things that are outside of your parameters are cheating and the things within your parameters are not aspect of it was what always appealed to me mm -hmm. because I'm very comfortable staying within a rule system so long as it makes sense to me in a very Absolutely. classically neurodivergent way <laughs> so like when I'm like this rule system doesn't make any sense to me why should I follow these rules and that's how I feel about monogamy that's how I feel about most things. <laughs> I have no issues with rules. I have no issues with there being parameters. I am a big fan of boundaries. But they need to make sense. And arbitrary rules for the sake of rules or rules that we follow because it's always been done this way isn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. That's not... That doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. And even a boundary that's just because it makes you more comfortable with me totally makes totally. sense. But a Absolutely. boundary that's because I said so? No, thank you. No, no. And I'm not comfortable with saying because I said so. I'm not comfortable with a partner saying because I said so. Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable with the government saying because I said Like any, any body of authority, any really... I'm not comfortable with that. Rules for the sake of rules, not a big fan. Not and, surprisingly. And so because of all of that, for me, polyamory has been a really positive force in my life, right? And then I think folks kind of hear of this idea of polyamory and see it as like a free-for-all and don't realize that it's actually just building your own rule set and still abiding by it. And then they hit the first time they hit polysaturation and they go, oh, there are natural rules. Mm -hmm. There's a natural stopping point. 
this was there not is. a free for all unless I'm an ass. Absolutely. And there are definitely people out there endeavoring to be that ass. <laughs> I mean, look, there's a reason I didn't, even though I sort of ascribe to all the things that are in the Relationship Anarchist Manifesto, it took me more than five years to actually start using that term because there were jerks using that term on the internet. Honestly, it's one that I struggle a little bit with as well. Uh, you know, anarchist feels a little bit little bit flag waving for me um because i'm like my thing is i'm not out to change anyone's idea about their relationship style i have no interest in converting monogamists to non-monogamists you know and i monogamy doesn't work for me but i realize that it works for some people i also realize that there's a lot of people who think it works for them and it clearly doesn't mm -hmm. the more i read about it the more relaxed i get about the anarchy as a term thing because the more i'm like oh it's just an alternative political system north america does it wrong okay fine right and i'm like <laughs> super relaxed about it because i'm like oh good it's just another thing i think that oh here does wrong that's fine i could just be contrary some more totally and it is about i think to a degree being comfortable with being contrary or just being you know off that beaten path you know i used to really think of myself as a sort of conservative person in the sense that you know I didn't really think I was out there doing anything all that wild or you know disruptive or anything and then I started looking at it and I was like okay well I'm like a bisexual non-monogamist I'm kinky <laughs> like I check a lot of boxes that are not on the usual list and I'm surprisingly comfortable with that and I think again I feel like a broken record, but coming back to learning how to be honest with yourself mm -hmm. and, you know, why, why, why this relationship model and why, why does it work and why are we doing it? And I think that's the big piece that people don't expect when they make the leap from monogamy to polyamory or to non-monogamy is that what you'll encounter in a polyamorous community or with other people that are like-minded and have maybe been looking at or practicing this a bit longer is that everything is so intentional and that for a lot of people in the polyamorous space that intention and the ability to focus and put that intention to their actions is a really big part of what's attractive because unlike monogamy it can't sort of run on tradition mm -hmm. and the way it's always been there aren't a lot of obvious markers about how to do it or what comes next you know the idea of the relationship escalator you know is kind of the antithesis of polysaturation in that the monogamous relationship escalator you know you you meet you connect, maybe you fall in love, you date, you get a dog, you move in together, you have a baby, you get married. Like, you know, there's this prescribed path. And that path is so much more individual mm -hmm. in non-monogamous spaces and for non-monogamous people. 
And that alone isn't for everybody. I've known people who have, you know, stepped across the line and tried it and just went like, I want more of a map. Like, I want to know what to do when. All of the sort of intentional and independent thought of it was not where they were comfortable. So they didn't stay in it. And that's honestly probably one of the healthiest decisions they could have made. Yeah. One of the things that I've found interesting is that recently part of the push toward non-hierarchy that's been happening has led to about half really intentional, really taking apart the relationship escalator relationships and about half people being like, okay, we're going to believe in non-hierarchy so that we can duplicate the relationship escalator in all of our relationships at the same time. We can follow the prescribed steps for all of our relationships and build them all to the same maximum point. That's non-hierarchical. All of our relationships are going to be identical, nested relationships at the end. I wish your viewers could hear the faces I'm making listening to that. (laughs) That's And I found that to be like the weirdest. I don't even know a term for it, but just so bizarre. Yeah. It misses the point. It misses the point entirely. It's the most like, I don't want to unpack any of my monogamy mindset. And like, on the one hand, more power to people if it's really what they want. Like if they meet one or two other people and that is what all three or four of them want. But the fact that they truly seem to not be examining it most of the time and they're like we'll just meet one or two other people and then we just don't have to we don't have to look at any of this we'll just repeat the steps yeah and arguably that's the pokemon hunting you referenced earlier right it's just or it's replication yeah it's a lot existing relationships as opposed to viewing each one as unique and dynamic Mm-hmm. in itself and it yeah makes me wildly stabby um yeah that's a frustrating a frustrating stance for sure and it mostly just makes me sort of feel not badly for them I don't mean that in the in terms of pity but in the sense that that sounds hard <laughs> Yeah, and I just think it's interesting that they're using the current trend of, like, hierarchy is bad to cover that up. And mm-hmm. to be like, don't worry, we're non-hierarchical, though. I promise this is healthy. The face I'm making at that. but just... Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, no buzzword is healthy. I pro- Like, they're all equally valuable or not valuable, I promise. Back the fuck up and look at the relationship yeah or just back the fuck up and accept that every relationship you have is with an individual unique autonomous person therefore how could all those relationships be identical if they don't have identical people that's so much deeper than people are willing to go (laughs) that's not even deep i understand (laughs) but people aren't so many people are so shallow in their relationship under I'm I'm sorry, I'm now shit talking the internet. <sighs> Alas, I mean, internet, you're on it. <laughs> I agree though. It's a bizarre take. 
And this is part of what I find challenging and frustrating about the discourse on polyamory in general. And if you visit my website, you will notice that it's for someone who is polyamorous and has been for so long, I have a, an astoundingly small amount of poly content on there. And that's not because I don't want to share about it. It's not because I don't think it's worth talking about. It. It's because I find it so frustrating as a piece of public discourse. Mm -hmm. Having a conversation with someone, one person about it is one thing. But uh, opening yourself up to that discourse and all of the people who have a lot of really uninformed ideas about what it's about is frustrating and taxing and I have really dragged my feet at sharing more of that because sometimes I sit down to write some thoughts or feels you know about that whole world and I'm I just despair <laughs> how how polyamory gets talked about especially online and how it is trendy right now mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't want to talk about that and I think the reality is there are a lot of people out there that are learning about this you know from reddit from twitter and going huh that sounds interesting let's give that a whirl all the power to you but let's just remember when we're out here giving things a whirl We're giving it a whirl with someone else's feelings and someone else's life. And if you haven't sort of unpacked and looked at that, the individuality of it and how unique and specific those relationships can be, and you just want to kind of add another person to have a date with every week, you need to maybe think about who you're harming in that. And, mm -hmm. and it's harming yourself, not just others. Yeah. I mostly feel like the additional visibility is good because by like studies have shown that by knowing someone who has an identity that isn't of a standard identity in the biggest scare quotes possible people are more likely to act accepting of that identity in the future so by making mm -hmm. polyamory more mainstream we are more likely to have people be willing to be out and then we're more likely to have more of society be okay with polyamory so mm -hmm. i'm mostly cool with that from that perspective it's like if it takes more random people getting into this the way a ton of people like dip their toes in kink after 50 shades of gray i will take it if it means that a ton of them come out to their moms and aunts and uncles and a bunch of people can go oh i met a polyamorous person once cool fine done especially if like in the kink scene most of them disappear after six months and the ones who don't become good upstanding community members i'll take it yeah i love that you use 50 shades as the example because that was the example on the tip of my tongue too it's this because it, it's exactly the same process well right there's right? a ton like of people like appearing the vast majority of them will probably go away and the ones who don't who had actual interest but just didn't feel like it was a real thing that happened and then went and looked and were like oh this is a real thing that happens will stick around and would have been fine and will still be fine they're just gonna have like a year of sort of a bad time while they figure out that there are community norms 
mm-hmm. of some kind, which unfortunately oh. include them trying to unicorn hunt and Pokemon catch. And it's yeah. but it's real, right? Like the same thing was true of the Fifty Shades people. They all showed up and bought like a crappy non-flogger from Adam and Eve and like showed up at a dungeon and were like, what is this? And then realized that public spaces are run by people my parents' age. And then were like, oh wait, there are younger spaces and munges and stuff. Okay. And the ones who were serious about it kept showing up and became good community members and started getting invited to parties and stuff in addition to the big 101 nights that are run by the oldest people who have been running the community and got happy with it. I think the challenge for me, and I agree with all of that, I think you're exactly right. There is, you know, something sort of not even new, but something kind of comes into, you know, the sort of cultural arena as, oh, interesting, maybe kind of taboo but also normal enough that you could maybe try it. You know, normal enough that you can find that flogger, not flogger on Adam and Eve, right? And they give it a try, and I think you're exactly right. For those that uh, it was going to stick for, it does stick for. And for those who don't, they kind of disappear. My challenge is the interim period where those of us who are already involved and already a part of things, especially those of us who are coming from an educational standpoint, is that that negative or misrepresentation also needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. You know, that also needs to be uh, faced and discussed. And for me, that's where it just makes me tired. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> you know, it's is exhausting. How many times yeah. can we talk about what is a unicorn hunter and what, like, why not to do it? But, yeah. Um, but it, I totally agree with you. It is part of how things change. It's part of how these things evolve. It's how things become normalized in societies and cultures. In the meantime, though, I just, I find my head is in my hands quite often. <laughs> you know, there's, and I say that, and I know there are people listening to that going like, oh, well, you know. You don't know everything either. And it's right. I don't. None of us do. But I do know what it takes to live this way. And I do know what it takes to be a reasonably decent person within these interactions. And I also know we all fuck up. We all (laughs) fuck up from time to time. Polyamorous people are not better at relationships. Let's just get that right out there. We're not better at it. We just approach it with a different kind of sincerity and we're looking for a different kind of outcome and every once in a while we've done enough more of them that we've fucked up more ways than you and so now we fuck up in new unique ways that you haven't dreamed of yet that is absolutely true (laughs) we fuck up in ways that your philosophy cannot even imagine absolutely that is very true as well And one day, if you have joined the ranks, you too shall be able to fuck up so monumentally that you might even wonder if you're on the right path. And that, you know, that's sort of part of the journey too, I think. 
It's true. Uh, when I started teaching classes about polyamory, I used to joke that I was doing it for my sins. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, uh, maybe I'll go back to that one. Although generally the like roughly Catholic references fail as soon as I leave New England. So we'll see. But I really appreciate you joining me to chat about this today. Um, and where can folks find you? Folks can find me primarily on my website, so violetfox.com. I've got all kinds of resources on there and writing. It's an ever-growing sort of library of kink and love and relationships and non-monogamy. So definitely check that out. And I'm on Twitter at foxviolet. And who knows how long Twitter's going to last. I don't even think we're supposed to call it Twitter anymore, but I'm there. I'm also on Instagram. The media formerly known as Twitter. Media formerly known as Twitter, yes. Yeah, so I'm I'm on all of the social medias uh, with one version of Violet Fox or another. So pretty easy to find. And thanks so much. This has been so much fun. And maybe I like talking about this stuff more than I thought I did. Maybe you've just opened up a bit of a, a window in me as well. Because as much as this stuff is challenging, it's also so fascinating. And it can be so rewarding to talk with other people, you know, who are on that journey and who get it and who are open to just living authentically that way. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. And if we turn it into a conversation, it's no longer just discourse. <laughs> right? <laughs> I love that. So thank you once again to Violet for being here with me. Uh, you can find her at violetfox.com or on Twitter at foxviolet or on Instagram as at violet underscore fox. You can find all of her social media and her website in the show notes. And she would love for you to check that out as well as the link to her new dildo collaboration with Freely Toys. That's all in the show notes for you. And like I said at the top, I've got classes coming up as well as constantly posts on the blog and on Instagram and all of my other social media. As usual, you guys know where to find it. It's all in the show notes. Have a great week, everybody. I'll be back next week.